From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, February the 1st, 2018. This is episode 40, An Alien Riding a Bike. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the interesting stories that are happening in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined this week by two wonderful guests. Industry analyst, knowledgeable about all things wireless and technology, it's Michael Gartenberg. Hello. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. It's great to have you back. Good to hear your voice again. Um, Host of Tech News Weekly and iOS Today on Twitch, she's back with us too, Megan Maroney. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me again. It's great to have you back, too. It's great to have both of you here. It's great to have Stephen Hackett here, who produces the show and makes it all sort of make sense. The parts that don't make sense are my fault. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> I'm willing to accept this arrangement. It sounds good to me. All right. That's that's uh, that's good. That's good. Well, we pick some stories, as we always do, the most interesting stories of the week. This is a weird week. We were saying before we got started, weird week. Uh, grab bag of stories, and we pick some. So let's start with... Strava. Um, po- Strava is a popular exercise tracking app, and this is a fascinating story. So, this week, what they what Strava likes to do is show off customer activity. The idea there is like if you're in a if you're in a foreign city, you can see sort of like where people run, where people swim, whatever it is, and, and it also sort of shows off how many people are using Strava all over the world, all of their activities on a heat map, a global heat map. It's a cool idea. It's has a user benefit. It has a PR benefit. And a guy named Nathan Rooser, who is a, a and, and I don't want to skip over this point, a 20-year-old college student who is on his summer break in Australia um, and thought he would look at the Strava data. And and he is a, a, an information security uh, uh, student. Um, noticed that that map in areas where there are uh, military actions like Afghanistan and Syria basically show you the details of the shape and and location of military bases because apparently people on those military bases use Strava when they go jogging at the base or around the base. Um, so it's very useful, but uh, the point here is if soldiers, what Rooster said is if soldiers use the app like normal people do by turning on tracking, it could be especially dangerous. You're actually showing, uh, like it's someplace like Syria, where all the soldiers go jogging. Um, the CEO of Strava Strava wrote that the company takes this all very seriously. Um, they have sort of a multi-pronged approach where they're going to kind of like work with the military and government to possibly like black out certain areas, but also encouraged all of its users to use the privacy tools that they have built into the app because uh, they do have some. Uh, I will point out that uh, Tim Stevens at CNET did point out that Strava users have been asking for better privacy controls uh, for years, and those controls could have prevented this too. So there, there's, there's a lot here in terms of user privacy, unanticipated consequences of using apps, uh, information security, uh, military Military matters. There's so much going on here. Uh, so uh, let's I, let's let's start, Megan. Um, if you're a soldier in a in Afghanistan, do you maybe turn location tracking off? Is that part of the deal? Is that we just don't think about how our apps interact with the world around us and what data that might be leaking? Uh, I am not a soldier, but I would hope that I would um, turn that off. I mean, it's pretty, it asks you when you install it if you if you want to. I agree that um, it's not completely clear. They've changed it. 
um, which is nice. Um, but I do believe this is one of the bigger questions of our time. What's the company's responsibility and what's our personal responsibility? How obvious do they need to make these uh, security features, these privacy features, um, and how much is, of it is our responsibility? I um, and, and there's also just that competitive nature. Like, I remember when I installed Strava and I was thinking like, well, I, d- I would like to be on the leaderboard. What, what does that mean? What? How much do I have to give away of my privacy? And in the end, I thought, you know, I, I mean, I'm a relatively public person, so I don't necessarily, I reveal a lot um, in podcasts. I don't necessarily want one of those things I reveal to be where my house is and where I go running, you know, where I am really tired two miles away from my house and could be, I don't know, snatched or whatever I'm fearing. Um, But yeah, so I I do think that uh, I, I don't, I don't understand why they didn't think, you know, maybe it's not a great idea to let everyone know where we're running since we're soldiers. Michael, what do you think about this? I mean, this is this seems like it's a uh, we just don't we just use this stuff without thinking about it sometimes. I think that's the bottom line here is whether you're a soldier, whether you're in Afghanistan or Syria, that you just, you know, you're just using your running app, man. That's all that's all it is. We don't really think about all the data that goes along with it and where that data goes. Right. I mean, this is clearly the law of unintended consequences. And uh, I think what even made it worse was not just the military bases, but apparently from that, looking at other parts of the heat map, they were able to see like where CIA operative bases were. Yeah, because right. you were seeing these clusters of things in the middle of nowhere where no Strava person would be. Um, camels are not using Strava. Um, <laughs> so this is, that was of even greater concern. Right. But yeah, this is the law of unintended consequences. I don't think um, any of these people were thinking about it remotely when they were using this to do their run. Um, Probably many of them, like me, didn't even pay attention to see like if my data was going somewhere. And, you know, it's a good reminder. I, you know, every so often when I post things on Twitter, like, you know, I'm leaving to go um, away for to this place for a couple of weeks, you know, see you there. And, you know, someone pointed out, goes, wow, you really have made it possible for anyone to know when you're not at home um, <laughs> and you're going to be away. And it's not that hard to figure out your address. In fact, here it is. You might want to think twice before you continue to do that um, if you want to come home and find your stuff. So again, um, we think about giving away information without really knowing we're giving away information because most of us don't care all that much. Um, I certainly don't care if Strava is mapping out my jogging route. But um, if I was a CA operative in Kabul, I might care a little bit more <laughs> than the average person would be. And again, I, I agree that, you know, this is the type of thing where you should realize that if you're a CIA operative, maybe you don't want to use an app that's broadcasting your location um, to the rest of the world. And um, clearly, no doubt around the world right now, um, commanders are telling everyone on their bases and stuff like, get rid of that app. Don't, don't even stop using it. But you know, it was decades ago, Scott, Scott McNeely of Sun said, you know, there's no such thing as privacy, get over it. And I think now we're really feeling those effects in ways that no one had ever considered before the idea that a running app um, might be, you know, <laughs> destroying worldwide global American security. I think what's interesting is I haven't heard a lot of um, about 
in from a gender perspective because i i realized that i might be the only one on this panel who's been concerned that you know they might run at night and you know they uh, might be tracked and i and i think that's something that we don't really think about that women are sometimes more vulnerable than men and i think it's interesting because these uh these these soldiers are more vulnerable than the average person in the same way and mm-hmm. it's you know it's what we talk about a lot that you know the people that create these tools are often uh, men and a certain kind of man who lives in Silicon Valley. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they're creating tools that have, uh, you know, uh, d- unintended consequences, as Michael said, for a person that has a different experience than they do. Right, they lack the they lack the perspective per- potentially to think about all the the different ways that different people use the use the tool. I, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't want to go to just the users and blame them because that's not appropriate. There's a chain of blame here, right? So, um, Michael mentioned managers. Like, I had that moment where I thought, wait a second, I'm a CIA operative in Afghanistan at a secret base, and I just have an iPhone with whatever apps I want to put on it, with whatever level of location privacy I want to set. And I did have that moment where I thought about the consumerization of IT, which has been a hot topic since the iPhone came out, basically, where it's bring your own device. And I thought, is it really bring your own device at a secret CIA base in Afghanistan? Because that that kind of boggled my mind too. Like like I, I get I, I I get them saying now, okay, everybody turn off, everybody delete that app. But like, why why did they have that app to begin with? That like, what was the mindset that nobody really thought about saying you can't leak information about this location using an app? Maybe they learned their lesson. But I it, the mind boggles that that any military or intelligence group would would let something like this happen. Yeah, I, I agree, but. Again, just giving it some perspective in terms of, of thought, uh, Strava's been doing this for a very, very long time. It took some 20-year-old kid on a summer break, just happened to be looking at the data and going, hey, look, um, it's not something anyone had given any thought. And you know, the question I have now is, okay, we, we've seen this thing and we know that this thing is an issue. Um, what are the other ones? <laughs> that we're giving data that we don't realize um, is giving out more information than we care to give out or information that could be triangulated based on other things. Um, you know, and that said, by the way, you had to be fairly sophisticated to do this. And, you know, he did point out that if you were trying to find out what was actually going on, you would have to, you know, start mapping things and try and find people's social media accounts and, you know, tie all of these things in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, you would think that if you're a commander, you don't want your officers um, checking in from various places using, you know, uh, Instagram, you know, the cobble Starbucks. <laughs> I don't want to get uh, super paranoid about this, but I have had that thing every now and then where there's like, here's a free app and it's an email client and it comes from some uh, company you've never heard of in some, uh, you know, let's say Russia or someplace near Russia or someplace in China or something like that. And you're like, I don't know who they are. And it's an email app, but it's free and it's really great. And and then you start to think, yeah, and... Uh I know that there's not going to be malware or anything like that on the uh, iOS app store, right? Because Apple's going to scan for that. But we've had lots of examples where uh, location privacy and other information is leaked back using sort of like stats packages. And, you know, if I was a uh, a, an intelligence operative in Russia, um, would I not be trying to like 
probe the possibility of either building apps or or subverting other people's apps in order to do things like this. Like you could have perfectly logical reasons for location tracking uh, in an app, but behind the scenes, the whole reason the app exists or the whole reason you're location tracking is to siphon off location data. I, I again, this is a paranoid fantasy on one level, but on another level, look at Strava. They're not doing it on purpose, but it proves the point that like you can leak so much information and then as 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 you pointed out michael the the uh tie it to instagram tie it to twitter it doesn't take uh a lot of analysis to build a really clear picture about where these people are and what they're doing and at what times they're doing and it's just you know it's just not something we think about right. and i think most people also when an app says you know do you mind if i keep monitoring your location in the background we'll just click okay because why not um <laughs> it's convenient. there's a but there's a button there that says okay um and, you know, we know people just tend to click on those things. Um, well, up until iOS no 11, I think the choice was like, OK, or never track my information. At least now you can say only when the app is open, which is a little bit better, but still. Right. But again, so we, we've hit this, you know, location loophole. But I'm thinking about what other information are people getting that might not be sensitive to me, but could be very sensitive to them, like in this case, I mean, the Strava thing doesn't affect me all that much. Um, I'm seeing where people run and, you know, it's not a particularly big deal. Um, and yeah, if I'm running alone at night, I probably want to be able to reach out. I necessarily want people to know exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, for the most part, when I talk about privacy and stuff like that, and the basic response I tell people is, seriously, no one's looking at you because you're not important enough to be looked at. <laughs> no one really cares about you or your stuff or anything else. And, um, you know, just protect your, your basic things like your financials and your social security number. You know, you're going to be okay. But as we've seen, innocuous little things can have uh, incredible impact. And again, to me, the amazing thing was that no one ever considered this before um, as an issue. So great, we've, we've plugged this hole, but now how many other holes are out there leaking all sorts of wonderful information? And uh, apparently, remember that you know this is iOS, but if you factor in things like Android, which can be far less secure um, in terms of uh, users being able to sideload apps on or, or you know click on something and download it and have you know basically you can play out of the sandbox fairly easily um, makes things very much of concern. I think you know Google said they took down something like seven hundred thousand apps um, that in one way or another had violated some of their guidelines, including things like privacy. So things just sneak in there. And um, this definitely should be a wake-up call to folks. But the question is, okay, I woke up, but now what? And I would argue that it it has been mentioned before, just not so loudly and not um, so big in the the tech press in particular. I mean, there's been lots, there have been lots of women who have used Strava and found certain things about it to be displeasing. There's like the the kudos uh, feature, which I've used before too. And I, um, you know, I have also have my Strava logged in with my Facebook account, which is also another thing like when I first started using Strava and I logged in on Facebook, I had a smaller, uh, you know, I would be more particular about the people that I expected accepted as friends. But then I got to a point where I was like, you know, why does it matter? I'll just anyone who, you know, I'll just accept everyone. I don't really use Facebook that much except for to sign in like things like this because it's so easy, which I probably should stop because then suddenly I'll get a kudos from someone 
that I don't know. And, and I find it a little bit creepy because I've just run and I'm sweaty and I just get this alert and it's, you know, and it's, it's my own fault for signing in to Facebook. Um, and, but at the same time, it's a feeling that I think people have sort of raised as like, this is a little bit uncomfortable, um, but it hasn't gotten this big in the tech press until this, it became a national security issue. It does feel to me a little bit like the, uh, you know, Stra- Strava, uh, the, so in the chain of blame, by the way, we went to the users, we went to the users managers, essentially, and the organization they're in. Uh, and then I have to, and then there's, there's Strava, obviously, which is, um, you know, did they really think about the issues in building their map or did they just think it was a great PR thing? And that comes back to some of Megan's points about maybe they're not thinking outside, like they're very constrained uses of this and so you know the map is beautiful we'll put a link in the show notes it it, it is um i think steven wants it on a poster it is it's awesome <laughs> it's it is it is beautiful and an amazing you know bit of technology that translates things into real time um but the other thing that was was brought up as an interesting point and that is facebook's role in all that's of this. true and more and more people, you know, rather than signing up with their email and a password, simply saying, I just connect this thing to my Facebook account um, without realizing what are the implications that, you know, you've now given Facebook one, yet another bit of information about yourself. Um, and you've opened yourself up to other things. So, you know, putting on my tinfoil hat here, um, I, I can I can tell you I never use Facebook to set up an account for anything. And um you know, even regular Facebook, um, I keep my privacy settings up like as high as I possibly can until Facebook makes a change and then resets everything. Um, because exactly that, you get these really strange things coming up from people you don't know and or, or people you don't want to know. Um, so uh, the implication here of, you know, tying this stuff in one with my Facebook and, you know, billions of people there back into these different applications where people are using it um, makes me a little bit more concerned about how much information Facebook is getting. Even if the only thing Facebook knows is that I've linked my account to Strava, it knows, OK, then I must be into exercise at some level or some degree. So um, that'll be really, really interesting as we start considering the power that Facebook has had in terms of disseminating information, gathering information, um, knowing things uh, about people without people not necessarily knowing that Facebook knows. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that I, I, I that's my New Year's resolution, stop logging into things through Facebook. Because not only that, I'm giving away my social graph, I'm giving away my contacts. It's, you know, at this point, I think, well, they're all, everybody has them anyway. But it's something that I think, it's a good privacy practice to, to stop doing that. Um, and you brought up, Michael, you asked, like, what else is giving away our information? The big one that I think that I'm surprised more people don't talk about is Snapchat. Um, I use Snapchat. I'm not a regular user, but I'm on there because my three teenagers are on there. And they have a feature, a location feature on Snapchat that, I mean, all three of my kids have turned it off so you can't see. And but they will go on there and show me where their friends are. And there's, it's an exact location. It's their cute little bitmoji and it's there. And I'm guessing that many parents of teenage kids don't necessarily know that their kids are revealing their location at any time 
through Snapchat. I, I discovered that because we were at Lake Tahoe over the summer and my daughter said, oh, uh, somebody I know from high school is here. Is like right. It's like a half a mile away, and I was like, "How do you?" And and it's like, well, it's Snapchat. So it's find, find my friends for everybody you've linked to in Snapchat. Oh, being a parent in the 21st century is amazing. Mm-hmm. One thing before we move on, I, I, we do need to move on, but I wanted to point out we talked about this map, we talked about various locations. I will just point out that the one thing that made me laugh out loud is that uh, meanwhile at Area 51, the secret base where people think that there are aliens uh, in in Nevada at Groom Lake, there is a Strava track of a single bike rider riding along the edge of the dry lake bed. I love that. Like, is maybe it's an alien riding a bike. I don't know. But I do love that even at Area 51, there's a Strava user, apparently. That makes me laugh. Stra- Strava, the choice of extraterrestrials yeah, all around. That's right. It's an app that's out of this world. Oh, that's a bad pun. Let's uh, cleanse the palate with uh, an ad. How about that? This episode of Download is brought to you in part by SaneBox. Uh, probably everybody listening to this show has something they don't like about email. That's why you need to try same box. It's not practical to select all of your email and just delete it, although believe me, I have thought about that. Some of the stuff that's in there, although not enough, is important and you need to read about about it, but all your email looks the same. It can be very hard to triage all that email and figure out what needs your attention. Guess what? SaneBox does that for you. It sorts through your email. It moves all the trivial stuff to different folders. The only messages in your inbox are the ones you need, and the great thing is that it will work seamlessly with your current system, work with any app, and they have a great feature called the black hole. What you do is you move an unwanted email into the black hole and you'll never hear from that person who sent you the thing that you threw in the black hole ever again because it learns that that is very bad and that person should go away. You can also set up email reminders, snooze your email, and a whole lot more. Um, you can get more organization in your inbox with a great deal from SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash download today. You'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $25 credit just because you listen to this show. You don't have to enter your credit card information in unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today. Get your email finally under control. That's SaneBox.com slash download, S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash download. Check it out. Okay, topic number two is Amazon. I feel like we talk about Amazon every week on the show because Amazon is so huge and it has so many different things that it's up to, things that it's doing. Um, there's no new Amazon Echo and no strange new products at Whole Foods this week. So that's a relief. All right, great. No, no, no uh, self-guided uh, stores in the news this week. Instead, Amazon, along with Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan Chase, have announced that they're working together to create a new healthcare company with the aim of reducing healthcare's burden on the economy while improving outcomes for employees and their families. So the idea here is this healthcare company, at least for the start, is going to serve the employees of these three large companies. Um, they said it would the company would be free from profit-making incentives and constraints, although they didn't comment on whether it would be actually a nonprofit, but free from profit-making incentives anyway. Uh, we don't know what this means. Now, Ben Thompson at Stratechery wrote a nice piece that we'll link in the show notes where he talked about some ways that Amazon could move here, including uh, integrating into the supplier's business, so selling prescription drugs and things like that, but uh, the challenge there is operating at scale. They could also be building a marketplace and creating a standardized infrastructure for suppliers and then selling access to that market to other companies, which actually does sound kind of like Amazon. 
on, you build that structure and, and you, you take, as Brent Thompson put it, you just, uh, Amazon's goal ultimately is to just skim off of every transaction in the entire economy. And the healthcare segment's a pretty, a pretty large segment of the economy. So how do they skim there? Um, what do you think about this? It's a, such a weird story. Uh, building a, a, a healthcare system for corporate employees. Uh, Megan, what do you think? Well, I think that uh, it would be great to have high quality health insurance at a reasonable it, cost. It would, um, yes. Agreed. <laughs> and, I, and I think others have tried this and not done so well. Um, I, I say billionaires, go for it. Throw all your money at this. And uh, I, I hope it works. Um, I mean, I use Kaiser and it's so much more efficient. My kids are on like Anthem, which is just seems like the difference between the two is crazy. Oh, yeah, like I just how... switched from Anthem to Kaiser and it is uh, it's like going from United Airlines to Southwest Airlines for all of the ramifications of that. It is. It's it's amazing. So I think that um, it would be great. I know that like the Amazon representatives met with Kaiser last year. Um, so I I I, someone else has to, hopefully Michael, Michael can tell me the downsides to this because I'm not sure what they are yet. A bunch of things jumped out at me. And one is when I've looked at sort of this generation's billionaires and I've seen them doing things like, you know, building private rocket ships and buying private islands and basically doing all the things that were prerequisites of becoming a James Bond villain as opposed to doing anything like, you know, humanitarian for society curing like malaria like bill gates right. is trying that but that's one guy <laughs> right. I'm, talking about, I, I mean, I'm even talking about the post the post bill gates ah, yes. um you know philanthropists yes. and, and arguably um you know no one has done a better job of turning going from robber baron to greatest humanitarian than you know bill and belinda but again you know a lot of these things you know i'm building private rocket you know ships and i'm you know trying to build you know super fast electronic cars or buying private islands so this comes as a, a bit of a relief when the richest man on the planet says i want to tackle healthcare, and you know i have the resources to do it. The problem that I have, and it's not so much a downside, um, it's this is sort of like the Cleveland Clinic, um, you know, uh, the Mayo Clinic, Columbia Presbyterian getting together and saying, you know what? We're sick of technology. We're going to form technology company um, that's going to solve all of the tech issues for the world, and we're going to find a better way to deliver books too. So, I mean, these people have no expertise in this, and obviously they're going to have to hire lots of people. And on one hand, we've seen, you know, the government unable to do anything about this. I think, you know, one of the, um, you know, uh, red lights that are, you know, moments of clarity that Trump had was when talking about health care. It's a lot harder than I thought. Uh, it's a lot <laughs> more complex. On the other hand, having a non-government entity um, step up to do this, it gives me hope. Ronald Reagan once said, like, the scariest words in the English language are, um, we're the government, we're here to help. So um, I'm kind of filled with a certain degree of optimism on top of my uh, skepticism, but it doesn't hurt anyone. Um, it's nice to see people using money for something like this, at least acknowledging that the problem exists. Um, and, you know, let's face it, I doubt Jeff Bezos has any issues with his health insurance. So he <laughs> probably is getting like, you know, about the best medical care you could probably ever get. Um, in this country. I think um, one of the th points that Ben Thompson made, and I do highly recommend that Stratechery article, which is a, a free article, so anyone can read it. Um, the 
idea of the U.S. healthcare system, and this is uh, if you think back to World War II and uh, limitations. The point the point that he made is back in World War II there were limitations on salaries, and so benefits were cranked up in order to find ways to uh, compete for employees when salaries were uh, frozen. And this created in the post-World War II American society this, uh, this tight link between healthcare and your employer. And as the nature of employment has changed and the nature of healthcare has changed over the last 50 years, 50 plus years, um, this has become a problem. Like, and it doesn't necessarily make sense anymore other than the legacy of it about why your employer would be in the middle of your healthcare. Like, why does that, why is, why is everybody's employment tied to healthcare instead of it being like everything else in the world, your employer gives you money and you go decide what you're going to spend it on. And in parts of the world, the government takes care of the healthcare and parts of the world, you have to buy it. But we have this weird thing where it's like in the US, you're largely expected to have an employer who is providing you in part with that. And what Ben Thompson's saying is, isn't it interesting that these large employers, and let's point out too, Amazon's got a huge employee base. Plus, they've got this ability to kind of disintermediate or intermediate between uh, suppliers and customers. Berkshire Hathaway owns, wait for it, insurance companies. Mm -hmm. And J.P. Morgan Chase has money, right? And so these companies with these interesting traits are saying, what if we built a system for our employees it's hard not to think that their ultimate goal is that could be applied to everybody else. But um, I do wonder, since it's based on employers and employees, if the end result is going to be anything that changes this relationship between you know, your employer is the one who's giving you the health care, or if Amazon's thinking kind of a bigger picture of, of uh, changing the healthcare system. But uh, all that said, I think a popping the balloon by saying what Michael said, which is imagine the Mayo Clinic saying we're going to reinvent ebooks. <laughs> um maybe maybe not maybe the tech the tech industry definitely has a history of thinking that uh they could walk right in and solve a a, a problem in some other industry and discovering it's way more complicated than they thought and healthcare is about as complicated as it gets yeah there, there's a degree of hubris in the tech industry that says we were good at this so therefore we can be good at everything um and we're smart and not recognizing that there are other smart people in the world who may have tackled this but you know again i say why not? Um, if you know, it's it, it certainly uh, it feels better when you know I, I hear Jeff Bezos saying I'm going to tackle healthcare. Then I'm going to build rocket ships because the truth is life on Earth really isn't going <laughs> to work anymore. And what we really need is you know orbiting you know space stations for people to live or you know um, billionaires who are, are saying like you know what we really need to do is like you know back up the human race on Mars just in case anything happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which, which all come across to me as absurdly silly and uh, utter wastes of money. Um, people tackling something that in the end may not work. Um, but if it does work even a little bit, um, then it's great. Well, and the tech industry loves disrupting areas, right? Disruption is what they always talk about. But there are areas that are ripe for disruption for good reasons. Like I was talking to somebody about taxis in San Francisco, and I was like, well, Uber and Lyft succeeded in San Francisco because that was that was a really corrupt and uh, bad for customers kind of area, taxis in San Francisco. You couldn't get them, and it was bad. And now you can get around the city, and that's way better. And I look at healthcare and think, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is this a place that, that in the United States that could could use some disruption? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, I think to, I think to your point, Jason, you know, as a self-employed person who purchases his, his own 
health insurance and spends a fortune on it, there's room for some other system to come in. And the government has had a mixed bag at, at trying different things. And uh, we're going to sidestep the politics of that today. But, you know, if this is, this could just be, you know, because we don't know anything, we can sort of graft our hopes and dreams onto this, right? So my hopes and dreams are that this does become some sort of AWS for healthcare, where there is a an exchange of a sort that, you know, I could go into as a self-employed person. Now, chances are this is just going to help Amazon people. And we haven't really talked about, you know, this is sort of ironic coming from a company that has ambulances outside their warehouses when for when people faint. But there's... See, it's already started. There's Amazon Healthcare yeah. right there. Oh, my gosh. that's. I don't think you need a, a multi-million dollar partnership to make that possible. <laughs> um, but I'm very interested to see where this goes because I think a lot of people have a, ves- a vested interest in seeing healthcare be different. Well, the other thing about this, these aren't benefits anymore in the sense of like, we're adding this on top. This is sort of to me like when um, restaurants you go into now say we're adding 18% on top of your bill, no matter what. Um, At that point, it's not a benefit. It's just a price increase. Um, The same thing here. These aren't benefits. This is part of your package. And a lot of companies will use that um, to attract employees. Um, I know at Microsoft at one point, um, their healthcare was free. You, you, Joined Microsoft and all of your healthcare was free for you and your family. Um, and it was absurdly good healthcare um, to the extent like the out of pocket costs, I recall, of like having a baby were something like $30, uh-huh. um, things of that nature. And people, you know, in this sense saying, hey, not only, you know, it's not just about money, but it's quality of healthcare. Um, I don't have a $12,000 deductible <clears throat> on my um, insurance. So, yeah, it's certainly ripe for, you know, being broken up. It's certainly ripe for, for taking a look at. And it may be better that this isn't the government and it is coming from three organizations that have the resources. Um, you know, can they hire the expertise? I don't know. I'd be trying to poach um, a lot of folks out of the Mayo Clinic and <laughs> Cleveland Clinic and <laughs> Columbia Presbyterian. There may be. I mean, it sounds like they've already started hiring some people. I mean, there may be that there are people in healthcare in the healthcare industry. You would think we talked about how there are smart people in the healthcare industry. Those people are probably really frustrated with the way of things now and how limited and they may have good ideas that they can't put into practice. And so it may be that this is what happens is that they find those people who are willing to try something different. I mean, it feels like a. I mean, it feels like a moonshot. It feels a little bit like saying I'm going to build a rocket ship where like, are you really going to fix American healthcare? Uh, three, three giant companies? Maybe, maybe not. I'm glad that they're trying because they do have the wherewithal to give it a go and maybe to make change. And that might be a positive thing. And uh, at this point in the American healthcare system, I'm willing to, uh, you know, willing to see anybody try anything to improve care and and decrease uh, the cost of the care. I mean, healthcare workers will tell you that, Um, you know, my son is a doctor and is a Jewish parent. I love getting to say that in public. (laughs) Congratulations. uh, (laughs) Yes, thank you. Um, But, you know, he'll talk about the the frustration that, you know, doctors have and the hospitals have relative to things like healthcare and, you know, um, making sure is this person um, insured. I know whenever I go to a doctor for the first time, the very first question they ask uh, before they ask you anything else is, do you have insurance and what kind is it? Yeah. Um, and it's not like, you know, um, do you have a sucking chest wound? It's what kind of insurance do you have before we, uh, before we take any other steps? So, yeah, um, I go for it, guys. Yeah. Um, and we'll see where it takes us. But again, it did strike as tremendous hubris that these three entities were going to 
to you know do this thing. Um, the other thing that was interesting is a lot of healthcare stocks dropped. Yeah, <laughs> the news of this on just it shows just you how the how the stock market views tech industry versus health industry i think to be like oh oh here we go the these these guys are coming in the room now now it's going to be different maybe we'll see well anytime anytime amazon says they're going to do anything then whatever competitor stock drops well they've got the track record right i mean they generally that's what they do walk in and 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 uh disrupt what's going on but uh well we'll see the uh that was uh, it's a fun conversation about a very serious subject and uh it'll probably be a while before we see anything of it but it's a fascinating story that came out of the blue this week that uh it's worth thinking about what what might happen there um we have more to talk about though and i also have another sponsor to tell you about this episode of download also brought to you in part by squarespace enter offer code download fm at checkout and you'll get 10 percent off your first purchase make your next move with squarespace squarespace lets you easily create a website for whatever your next idea is and it can have a unique domain name award-winning template so it'll look beautiful and you don't have to be a web designer to do that and a whole lot more whether you want to create an online store a portfolio for your work maybe you're a photographer or an artist uh, or a writer uh, make a blog uh, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do whatever you can set your mind to, whatever that big idea is that you've got. And you don't have to install software. You don't have to patch security problems. You don't have to upgrade servers. All of that stuff is taken care of by Squarespace. You just use Squarespace to do what you do well, and they take care of the rest, what they do well. And if you do run into trouble, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. So there will be somebody you can reach out to if you do hit a wall and say, how do I do this? They've got people to help you. They've won awards for great customer care you can quickly and easily grab a unique domain name so you're going to have your site it's going to be something dot something you know and that'll be where your idea lives which is pretty awesome and those templates they are beautifully designed they work great on phones they work great on laptops they work great on all shapes and sizes of devices and and you don't have to do the design they've designed them for you to show off your great ideas plans started just a mind-boggling twelve dollars a month and you can start a, a trial and check out squarespace without giving them your credit card at all just go to squarespace.com sign up and try it out when you do decide to sign up and pay for squarespace use this offer code download fm that's what you need to remember download fm you'll get 10 percent off your first purchase and you'll show your support for this show thank you to squarespace for supporting download squarespace make your next move make your next website now is time for the story you might have missed, something that might have flown under your radar, but we thought was worth mentioning. All of us have rushed through an airport just to learn that our flight has been delayed as we arrive at the gate, catching our breath. I ran really fast to get here, and now it's going to be two hours before it takes off. That's the worst. Airlines and travel apps send push notifications to keep you up to date, but they aren't proactive. They only do it when it's finally completely input into the system. Well, Google updated its flights app on Android to use machine learning to predict upcoming flight delays and alert you a possible problem. So if you were not stressed out and paranoid enough on your way to the airport, guess what? The machine learning is going to help with that. The company says this feature is just for guidance. So don't like snooze your alarm and show up at the airport two hours late based on it. But in terms of giving you a warning that this flight is likely to be delayed, they are trying to intuit that using machine learning. I wonder if they're looking at weather data. Stephen, do you know if they're looking at like just patterns in flights or are they looking at like weather patterns? and other flights and things like that? They don't get into a ton of detail, but that's what I assume. They have all this historical data, and so they know, you know, they can start putting a picture together. Hey, this flight is always late under these 
circumstances. Yeah, and and some things that they're like they know what the hardware is that's going from one airport to another, and they know it's late. And even though it hasn't been updated, you can. I mean, there's a lot that could be done here intelligently. I wonder exactly what the data is. Also, another thing that the app is now tracking, which is really good, actually. I just had this with a family member. Um, a, a lot of airlines and United started this have this basic economy concept, which is kind of like like Ryanair, if you know what that airline is, where they charge you you buying a seat, and so it's got a low price, but like literally you don't get to pick what seat you're in it'll be a middle seat i uh, trust me you don't get to pick uh you don't get a bag not only do you not get to check a bag without paying extra you don't get to put a bag in the overhead without paying extra seriously i actually just had this happen with my brother-in-law where they bought basic economy and didn't realize what they were doing anyway the google app the flights app now uh will flag that stuff so that you'll know that well this is a low fare but which is uh, huge because a lot of times you're looking for low fares and you don't realize that the low fare that you're selecting you're going to actually end up either being very sad or paying an extra twenty dollars in order to put that bag in the overhead bin so uh some new stuff from from google it's very clever okay our next topic and it's this super weird story axios reported initially that there was a powerpoint deck apparently somewhere within the trump administration perhaps uh related to something coming out of the nsa saying that what if (laughs) follow me here what if the u.s government nationalized the next generation cellular network uh and actually uh had the federal government build the 5g network uh to protect against Chinese influence. Uh, now, since that report, we have heard a lot of things about how it's not. It was just a suggestion. They're not. They're actually against it. The FCC is against it. Everybody is walking away from it. But it's a fascinating thought, especially since I mean, I think on one level, the idea that that the government would propose nationalizing an incredibly important thing like our wireless infrastructure that's a big story and then also that the nsa uh, is actually concerned that china might have undue influence over our uh, national networking infrastructure is kind of a, a weird angle too um and then of course the nsa is they're working for us or are they is there's the tinfoil hat that michael is, was wearing i'm going to put that on for a moment too so what this is such a weird story but what you know so Michael Gardenberg, right? You have talked about uh, wireless stuff for a very long time. When you saw this story, what was your initial reaction? Well, my initial reaction, it was some naive government employee who had no idea how the universe works um, <laughs> coming up with you know this particular but, suggestion. But knows how to use PowerPoint. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, we didn't see the deck. It could have been filled with clip art for all I know. Uh, um, you know, we're one of those uh, marker, marker felt fonts. Uh, yeah. Um, it's Comic Sans. But it, it would, Comic Sans. It would be very impactful in Comic Sans, yeah. But, um, you know, the second thing was, the thought went through my mind was, wow, the NSA must be salivating at this, making our jobs a whole lot easier. <laughs> we don't need wiretap, uh, you know, uh, warrants. We don't need any. We own the network. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the idea of, of, of government being in control of that, it's sort of like it's like the government saying um, we're going to nationalize newspapers and media. Um, we're just that's a government thing right now um, because we're tired of fake news. So we're basically nationalizing Facebook and all sorts of print media and online media and, you know, uh, television stuff. Um, you just don't want the government doing that. Um, and the third part is, is that it's just un feasible to think that this could 
possibly even work as a practical thing. Um, but the fact that some, you know, political wonk in somewhere in DC was thinking about this, um, is a little bit scary because it means someone was like really not thinking about any implications. And, you know, it obviously went up the chain far enough. Um, this person was giving presentations about it to other people. And you, at a certain point, you wonder how far up the chain of command this thing went before someone said, seriously, are you, are you stupid? Um, and also the number of people who are probably saying, this is a great idea. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. What if Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> could create the 5G network? Everybody gets a fire phone. <laughs> They're laying around. They're available. Yeah, we, we've seen we've seen Amazon's, um, you know, foray to telecommunications. So I'm OK with that. Well, I, I'm fascinated <laughs> by the 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 chutzpah of I was going to say hubris, but no, no, the chutzpah of an NSA uh, uh, pr- proposal, which is basically like, look, China is so involved in supplying, I'm not quite sure what, I think some of the hardware that's involved in building the infrastructure, and I think that was behind the concerns, was like that there's a security implication that, that Chinese equipment is going to be used and they're going to be able to monitor the network. So the NSA says, so what we should do is build it ourselves. That way we get to monitor the network instead. And like the flip side is, is so weird because it's like, well, who would you rather have spying on all of the United States uh, data that's being transmitted wirelessly? the NSA or the Chinese government. It's like, well, I would really rather not have either. And it's also fascinating that whoever this person is, they didn't realize that like the reason the wireless industry has grown so fast and become so huge is at least in part that it is one of the one of the rare spheres where there is brutal competition. And no, it's not as efficient as if it were a kind of a planned rollout where everybody shared in it because, you know, Sprint built builds a giant their their giant 3G network and then realizes that th- a different network technology won and they have to tear it down and write it off and build something else. I mean, there's a lot of inefficiency, but at the same time, it has driven a lot of growth and success in wireless. So to propose something like this, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a howler. Uh, the, what I what I take away from it though is that I I do appreciate the fact that there are people in the U.S. government who are deeply concerned about the fact that a lot of of hardware and software comes with embedded parts that are sourced from China because their concern is that they may be uh, they may be compromised and that's paranoid but like the people in US intelligence they're paid to be paranoid and I get it I mean we've seen the government say we're not using certain Chinese vendor um, smartphones, or we're not using um, Lenovo laptops. Not using Kaspersky internet security, right? right? <laughs> and, it, and it's and it's not so much because um, of paranoia; it's because they found things um, yeah. that were of concern. This this wasn't just out there. Um, so it, it kind of reminds me that you know the next battlefield isn't necessarily going to be about land. Um, or, or even religion, the next battlefield is going to be um, electronic-based. And, um, you know, we've seen this right now going on, and it makes me wonder about the things that we're not seeing, um, and that how, you know, cyber warfare is becoming a real thing. Um, the other thing that just occurred to me as we were having this conversation is um, the folks that own Spectrum, and Spectrum is the only thing they aren't making any more of, um, is the government. right. Basically, the government, you know, does these, um, you know, spectrum auctions and, you know, uh, the telecom companies bid each other out. It'd be interesting to see if the government says, you know what, we're keeping these for ourselves. Um, We're not 
putting them out there so fast. And, you know, if you think about that, if the government decided to do that, if a government agency decided to do that, um, at which point all the telecommunication company stuff becomes moot um, because whoever owns the spectrum owns communications. So is there a case... I mean, I just gave my plug for the greatness of competition, which is sort of like this the whole free market approach. Is there a case for the efficiency of a unified effort that where it's like not just it's like a standard and a rollout and then you let the wireless carriers compete on their product, but their product isn't the network? Is there a case for that or is it just completely 100% ridiculous? Um, I don't know. Telecom is not in my wheelhouse. I mean, I think that there are some big problems. Like there are lots of underserved areas. So I understand the I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, like, why can't I would like to know why, like, this can't be like a modern day Tennessee Valley Authority? Like, is it just because we're talking about something really different when we're talking about uh, the Internet? Like, why? Like, there's still the big problem of getting Internet to places um, where they don't have people don't have it. And I think it's really important. So how do we solve that? Yeah, I mean, there are so many interlocking things here together um, that it's not just about communications, but it is about the Internet and it's about, you know, providing things to rural areas, which, you know, places that would not be served um, by, uh, you know, public services unless the government said, you have to serve these people, even though um, it's a relatively small market. You're not going to make money from them, but they have to have basic services. And the internet is basic service these days. So um, it, it's there. But I guess the idea of communication, and again, it kind of goes back to um, if the NSA were listening to my conversations or reading my emails, well, someone must have a really boring day at the NSA because they have nothing better to do. Uh, and they're not going to learn an awful lot. Um, from me and probably most of the universe. I, I think most of us really don't care, um, you know, if we think about it, other than like the, the notion of a, a privacy breach um, that I, I, you know, don't have that much to hide. I don't think I have anything to hide in my conversations or in my online life. Um, but I imagine there are plenty of people who do, who would be a little bit queasy about the fact that the government controlling communications and spectrum and, and, and essentially 5G, which is high-speed internet, and more and more people are using mobile devices far more than you know their connected devices, uh, wired devices. So um, it, 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 it's definitely weird and it's definitely out there and it's definitely bizarre, which is why you know it was clearly picked up as a story. But I'll go back to the very beginning. There's so much impracticality here. Um, There's so many reasons why this simply could not happen, um, that it's destined to be a PowerPoint file forever. Right. It is it is very funny that this came out of a Republican administration, though, the idea of this, because this uh, this is the sort of thing. This is a big government overreach, right? So it's like, what is happening? The world is strange, is what I'm saying. American well, politics, how, how does it work? I don't know anymore. It's uh, We li- live in interesting times. president is going to be nationalizing Twitter. Yeah, sure. He can have it. Uh, anyway, time for our final sponsor of this episode. This week's episode also brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. You'll get a 14-day free trial. And when you enter offer code download at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability 
availability and performance of your server, database, or website is a breeze. They take care of this by using more than 70 different global test servers that emulate visits to your site. They keep checking its availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are way more sophisticated and complicated than they have ever been before. There are often different dependencies, even on different pages, contact forms, e-commerce checkout, logins, search, and a whole lot more. Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all the key interactions on your site. It's not just about is the site up, but it's are the pieces of the site working at any given time or is something uh, in the red that you need to look at. Stuff breaks all the time. There are 13 million outages every month uh, detected by Pingdom, more than 400,000 every day. So whether you've got a little website or a complete massive infrastructure, it doesn't matter. You want to monitor your availability and performance. All Pingdom does is uh, it needs the URL and they take care of the rest. Like, what's my website? And then they figure it all out. And when they detect an outage, you are immediately alerted so you can fix that error before the downtime affects your customers or affects you personally. You don't want to get caught out when someone wants to access your site. You need Pingdom. Check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your site is down instead of those emails from people saying, why is my site? Why is your site down? Uh, You'll know before they even ask and can fix it, hopefully, before they uh, even notice. Pingdom.com slash RelayFM. That's P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash RelayFM. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting this show and RelayFM. Now, this wasn't on our agenda, but I realized as a former Apple executive... Michael Gartenberg might have some things to say about the HomePod. Is everybody getting one? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually getting one because it's kind of my job to write about it. Um, But what a a fascinating... I'll I'll, I'll borrow one from Apple for, you know, a week or two, but... No, <laughs> it's yeah. just, uh, if any other company were releasing this product, we'd already be like saying this is like, you know, death, but it once again, I mean, this is putting Apple once again, um, Apple versus the rest of the world, um, because it won't work with any other music services. And if I'm using an Amazon device or a Google device, um, they all work with alternative music services. Except if for I'm Apple mus- music. They don't work right. with Apple Ex- music. Exa- exactly. Well, Sonos will work with Apple music. Um, oh, right. Sonos. But Sonos's voice integration, which is powered by Echo, by Alexa, will not play Apple Music via voice. You can only use it, right. You can only use it by a um, remote. Um, and, yeah. you know, the second service everyone offers is Pandora. Um, so if you don't want to use Google Music, and it, it, this whole thing just brings up a whole lot of issues. Um, you know, Google lets you upload your music library and listen to it anywhere you want for free. And if you have a Google Home for $49, um, you can voice control it. Uh, Apple wants you to pay $24 a year for the privilege of doing that. Right. Um, you know, a $49 Echo Dot, I can connect to any speaker that I want, speakers that are even better than HomePod. Um, or I can just connect it to um, something simple. Um, it, it's hard for me to see HomePod being someone's like main music listening experience. I can't connect it to my TV. I can't, um, you know, connect it to anything. I mean, it, it, someone wrote about this weekend. They were just reading my thoughts, so I can't write about it now. Is that uh-huh. this is iPod all over again? Um, an expensive device that works only with Apple products. Um, Back then, you needed a Mac. You can't even buy... If I'm an Apple Music subscriber on Android, 
HomePod is still relevant to me because I need an iOS device just to set it up. Um, you know, it, it makes you wonder, is this, like, is this the same thing that Apple has done over again? Um, and remember, iPod only really took off as a device once Apple opened it up to Windows users um, and finally released iTunes for Windows. I mean, that's what kicked things off. And it's 349. Um, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is just seems is an ex Apple employee. The whole thing seems really weird um, for Apple to announce a product like that, to announce a product that far in advance with a ship date, um, to get to the point where we could actually say. I mean, Jason, you and I have talked about this before. Like, you know, people say, you know, Apple missed, you know, is is late on the products. You can't be late on something you never announced. Well, they announced it. Yeah, and they were late. <laughs> they blew the deadline, um, you know, pretty big, and they missed all of holidays. So it was the point, you know, to slow down the holiday market to get people not to buy Amazon stuff or, or Google stuff. And again, you know, for command and control for three forty nine, I understand they're pushing the the audio aspect of it, but you know, audio aspect is the one thing that's like the hardest thing to show. How do you do that in a commercial? How do you you show me that your audio is so great when it's coming through my speakers? <laughs> Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. This is the first Apple product in a very long time that I kind of scratch my head and go, it feels like they're reacting to the market and the fact that Siri, I mean, in a typical Apple move that I would have expected is, you know, if Siri is not quite up to snuff as your competitors, um, focus on the audio side of it, but that just feels weak. And, and I'm seeing a lot of people write stuff and it feels like they're really being apologists to Apple for this. Um, so, I mean, I guess the one proof is, is I just checked. And if you want one for Friday, you can feel free to order one now yeah. and get one. Um, mm. This is no AirPod. <laughs> no, although I, I have heard that they're in uh, part of that reason is that they made the hardware like last year and it's been sitting because the software has been not working right. <laughs> and so they have plenty of them. <laughs> they're not constrained by production <laughs> because the, it's been a software problem. That's at least what I what I've heard through the grapevine. But. I've heard both things, by the way. Why can't you connect it to the TV? Like what? What? Is there? Why? Apparently, you can connect it to Apple TV, but like it only it only supports um, like AirPlay in. It, it, you have. I mean, you're you're manually doing stuff to it. I mean, you're trying to AirPlay it over, and you know the fact that when Apple execs say, "Well, we support Pandora," no, you don't. Um, the reason people are buying these things is for command and control by voice, and for the you know digital assistant part of it. I think it's 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 probably a perfectly fine higher end, you know, Sonos Play Five kind of level connected speaker with voice control as a product at that price. It's probably okay. The problem is the context, right? Like the problem is there are first off, it's being viewed as Apple's entry into the Alexa and Google Home area, where which yeah it is, but it's also kind of just not because it doesn't even it's not even relevant compared to where most of those products are playing. And so you end up you end up with this like you know again as they focused it smartly you know Michael how this works like Apple's like no 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 it's a it's it's a it's a high quality speaker product it was like well in in that focus it's not terrible it's just the rest of it <laughs> like, but then it's but then it's great but then it's it's a high quality speaker that only works with one you know it's like buying a TV that only works with one channel um, it's great TV has great you know superb you know, stuff, but you, you can only get one channel on it. Um, and it does feel to me like that they're 
emphasizing the audio because they can't emphasize Siri. Um, one of the things that Amazon's really ahead on is the notion that they've opened up these skills. Any third party can do anything they want, and your speaker suddenly got a whole lot more useful. Uh, you know, I can ask Alexa what time, uh, ask the rabbi what time the Sabbath starts, and it'll give me an answer. Um, if I asked Siri that, it would go, huh? Um, and as most things, um, Siri is showing its age. Uh, what can I say relative to um, both Google and the fact that, again, any educated consumer can buy a $49, you know, Echo Dot and connect it to whatever they want or connect it to their, you know, Sonos, um, which in many people's homes, the Sonos is their sound system. Um, because you can take a, something like a play bar and a subwoofer and, you know, two reverse speakers and have a really great system or just one device. So it kind of makes me wonder, like, who is this for? Where is it? Like, what part of the room, what room in the house does this go, go in? Like, a lot of people put their Echoes or Alexas into the kitchen. Um, it's in the bedroom. It's in the place where, you know, they don't need to focus on the best audio quality, but they just want to listen to some music playing through. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the single best. Is this going to go in addition to my, um, sound system? And if I want stereo, which by the way, I can't get at launch, am I going to have to spend like $700? Um, so I can get stereo speakers. It, 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 I don't know. It just feels off. Everything about this product just feels a little bit off. And, uh, where you could come up with like logical arguments. People said like, Oh, iPhone 10's price point is absurd. And like, no, it, it, it makes sense. And you know, people will buy it and, and you know, like, you know, three forty nine. Now I feel like I need a fuzzy puppy update. Just trying to make people leave this show with a good feeling in their hearts about sometimes the stuff we talk about is, is complicated and sometimes it's a bit of a downer and that's why we have the fuzzy puppy update. Now this weekend is the Super Bowl. Or as a lot of people I know who are nerds and don't understand sports refer to it, the superb owl, which scans. All right, fair point. But one of the best things that happens in the Super Bowl is that Animal Planet counterprograms the Super Bowl and especially the Super Bowl halftime with the Puppy Bowl. So this is right in our wheelhouse for the Fuzzy Puppy update. The, the 14th Puppy Bowl will be running on Sunday. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, like hours of puppies playing. That's it. That's all it is. You should check it out if you like puppies. And then the halftime show, there are kitties. It's true. It's true. <laughs> also in Jezebel, I read that there will be a sloth at the Ooh, puppy bowl. Interesting. Um, it is the referee's assistant. Uh, yeah, blink and you'll miss the sloth. Uh, <laughs> the uh, and and the story, and we'll we'll put a link in the show notes. There's a story from Pittsburgh about Sunny, Bailey, and Frankie. These are three rescue puppies that will be participating in the puppy bowl, uh, rescued from terrible circumstances, and now they are adorable pups who will be there along with all the other adorable pups in the puppy bowl. So even if you don't like the sports, check out the puppy bowl. I recommend it. We often will record the Puppy Bowl and then just leave it on the TiVo for the whole year so that if anybody feels <laughs> their own fuzzy puppy update needs, they can self-care by pl- pressing play on the Puppy Bowl. So check it out. That's Sunday on Animal Planet. Um, what else to look out for in the week ahead? Speaking of the Super Bowl, um, the HomePod is going to come out next week from Apple. So people will be listening to that. Presumably, football fans will be recovering from the victory by either Philadelphia or New England in the Super Bowl. Uh, lots of corporate results are coming out next week. So we'll probably spend next week's show talking about what's going on at Apple and Facebook and a bunch of other companies like that. And space fans, Falcon 
fucking heavy. The enormous, speaking of billionaires and their enormous rockets, Elon Musk's enormous Falcon Heavy from SpaceX might actually launch on February 6th. Stephen, eh, maybe. Check check it back in April. They're gonna yeah, they're gonna they say they're gonna try on February sixth. It could also be April because SpaceX stuff tends to slip. But if it does, it will be the biggest rocket launch since the Saturn V and the Apollo program, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, and that's it until next week. We are done with download. Michael Gartenberg, where can people find you and the stuff that you're doing? Sure, you can find me at Gartenberg on Twitter as well as michaelgartenberg.com and look for uh, a monthly column that I write for iMore. Very nice. And Megan, where can people find the stuff you do? Uh, Twit.tv slash iOS or twit.tv slash TNW, which stands for Tech News Weekly. And I also, Gene McDonald just invited me to Microblog. So I'm there and I'm at Megan on Microblog, which I've never been at Megan at anything. I'm super excited about it. That's awesome. And Stephen Hackett, thank you for putting the show together as always. You bet. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. I have been your host, Jason Snell. And until next week, we will continue watching those headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. 